Thanks for downloading this message from Devoted 2015, a Christ Central festival for all the family. Christ Central is part of New Frontiers, and our distinctives are made up of four priorities. Being friends, enjoying God together, building churches empowered by word and spirit, advancing the kingdom, transforming the world, and reaching nations, making disciples. Devoted is just one event, but you can find out more about Christ Central and other training opportunities at ChristCentralChurches.org. For more about Devoted, please visit DevotedEvent.org. Thanks for listening. See you next year. Well, good morning. Good morning, if you'd like to find your seats as you're coming in. It's great to see you all. Thank you for being with us. I'm not sure if you come from the Business and Leadership Life Zone or the bar at the back. But the bar's not open, so... Ah, maybe later. It's great to have you here. Thank you for joining us uh, on this Life Zone Uh, this morning. My name's Graham Pyman. I lead the team at Jubilee Church in Derby. Did get a little cheer there, that's good. And uh, I'm part of the Christ Central team. And it's great to be able to host this Life Zone. We're looking forward to these three days together. Um, I will just turn the music off. There we are. As a team, when we've been planning Devoted and talking about the Life Zones particularly, uh, we were very keen to do uh, a leadership track in that but not just look at church leadership, but look at leadership in both business and other areas of life, as well as church as well. And so that's what we're doing over these three days. Now, I'm hoping you'll be joining us for the three sessions. That's certainly the, the plan of this particular life zone. I'm trusting you want to come back tomorrow. And um, If you don't actually uh, intend following through the three days, if you could let the team know, because as you can see, we're at capacity in here. And if there are others that want to join us on other, other days, we want to allow them to do that. But that you'll get the best out of it if you're with us for for all three sessions. And um, the three sessions, we're looking at leadership lessons from different areas. So this morning we're looking at business, and uh, uh, I'm thrilled that we've got uh, John Batten with us. John, why don't you stand? Um, John is an elder at Jubilee in Derby with me, and you can give him a cheer and clap if you like. And... um, John has just just finished uh, working for Morrison Supermarkets where he was responsible for senior management training. And so we've got John uh, speaking this morning and Keith and Rachel Cooper. Why don't you guys stand and you'll get an equally large cheer. Keith and Rachel own and run a chain of opticians and uh, John and uh, they're going to be looking at lessons in leadership from the world of business. Some of it will apply to business world, some of it may apply to other areas of life as well. You can get some uh, nuggets uh, and and keys for that as well. Tomorrow, Terry Virgo is with us, and we're looking at leadership lessons from the world of church. But I'm trusting that's going to apply to us, whether you're leading uh, at home, or in business, or in a third sector, or indeed church. There'll be some lessons to learn there. And on Sunday morning, uh, the head coach of Newcastle United, uh, Steve McLaren, is joining us. And uh, we're looking at leadership lessons from the world of sports. 
and uh, having got to know Steve over uh, a recent while and just observing him and how he leads and what he does, there are lots of things that we can learn in leadership uh, from certain things that he'll be, be bringing us. So that's the plan. I trust that's whetted your appetite. Uh, I'll now hand over to John, who's going to kick off for this morning. Thanks very much, Graham. Appreciate that. Okay, good morning, everybody. Add my welcome to Graham's welcome. I'm putting my watch there. I'll probably not refer to it again, and I'll run over, but it's there anyway. Yeah, so it's over there. Okay, so welcome to the Growing in Leadership in the World of Business seminar. And uh, I guess the first question to ask you this morning is, who had to use every ounce of leadership know-how whilst remembering how to put up your tents? (laughs) Now, I had my two grandsons helping me. One's four and the other's three. And I've got to say there's still work to do with their leadership qualities but I've got to make a, make a point of doing an appraisal and give them some formal feedback when I leave here later. <laughs> but anyway, um, I think leadership is a vast subject, as I'm sure you're aware. And uh, there's many approaches. There's lots of models you can refer to. There's many experts and many experiences and views. And I guess Keith, Rachel, and I are probably just going to be casting a few seeds about leadership today. And we're really happy at the end for you to follow up anything we've said. I'm going to probably be using some leadership models from my own workplace, from Morrison's. But there's many, many other places and um, approaches you can take. Uh, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if some natural linkages to what Steve McLaren and Terry say over the next two sessions as to the biblical basis for leadership. But this morning we're looking at the secular. So my background, uh, 32 years in retail. Anybody else work in retail here just out of interest? Oh, okay, two, three, four, five, okay. So you know what that's like. Okay, so 32 years in retail. I've got the badge for that one. 16 of those have been in management development. So I worked for Morrison's, as Graham's already said. Uh, previously worked for Safeways, but then Morrison's came along and bought that up as a company. Morrison's had 125,000 employees, 618 stores, and they have 12% of the market share of the grocery market. And they're the second largest food producer in the country. And I suppose I better say at this stage, other supermarkets are available. Okay? <laughs> so, so my job brief was to technically train and assess 4,000 store management and provide a succession and development plan for them. So they knew where they were going and how they were doing on that journey. I had a team of 11 trainers working for me who did the technical, soft skill and behavioral training. So that was my remit really for the company. So I have a large corporation background if you like. And I guess Keith and Rachel are going to be talking about a smaller firm's perspective and coming from a slightly different angle from myself. So my approach today, we have limited time here. I've got about 25 minutes to get through what I've got to say. So um, I'm going to make some statements and discuss some models about leadership in general. I have some open questions that I hope will help you analyse the situations you're in and maybe provoke you in some way. And I have some observations from my own experience in that business. So firstly, can I make a few assumptions, please? Number one, you aspire to or feel called into secular leadership here today. Number two, you are already in secular leadership. And number three, with both of the above, there'll be some sort of team working for you or about to work for you. So that's my premise for today, really. But before I get going, I wonder if what I'm about to read out represents the sometimes chaotic leadership scene in your own workplace. So... A large organisation has recently hired several cannibals. After sifting and interviewing many candidates, the Human Resource Director congratulated the successful cannibals and said, well done, you're all part of the team now. You get all the benefits we've discussed and you can enjoy our company cafe free of charge. 
but please don't eat any of the other employees. Each of the cannibals promised they wouldn't. After a few weeks, the cannibal's boss seemed very pleased, but also a little worried. She said, you're all working very hard, and I'm very satisfied with your output. However, one of our secretaries has disappeared. Do any of you know what's happened to her? The cannibals all shook their heads. No, they said. After the boss had left, the leader of the cannibals was a bit angry, and he said, okay, which one of you dummies has eaten the secretary? A hand rose hesitantly in admission. You fool, said the leader. For weeks we've been eating the managers and no one noticed anything. (laughs) So I wonder if that sounds familiar in your workplace. Okay, so let's start by the first part of this is aspiring to leadership. So if you aspire to leadership here this morning, the definition of a leader, one who rules, guides or inspires others. And the definition of leadership is the action of leading a group of people or an organisation or the ability to do this. Is leadership for everyone? My opinion would be absolutely it is. I guess we're not all going to be called to be CEOs of companies, but in whatever walk of life you're in, you will lead or inspire someone or something at some juncture. So the biblical foundations comes from 1 Timothy 3.1 for me, really, and it's the qualifications for overseers and deacons. And it says, here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. So if you aspire this morning to hold a leadership role or you're already in one, you're in line with God's words. Uh, P.J. Smythe wrote an excellent book entitled The World Needs More Elders. I don't know if anybody's ever read that book. And PJ states the main three reasons that there are a lack of elders or leaders in general is, number one, a lack of courage, number two, a lack of apostolic vision, and number three, a lack of teaching. And I guess those things are slightly (coughs) akin to the workplace as well. Courage, vision, and teaching sometimes prevents people walking into leadership roles. And PJ goes on to say in his book, whatever is embodied in the elders will be embodied in the body. Well, there's lots of bodies in that statement, I guess, but you get where he's coming from, really. So my first observation in leadership, then, is if we aspire to lead, then we should role model leadership at every opportunity and in every situation. People observe your every move. And there's no... It just comes home, doesn't it? When you're on this campsite, you open up the zip, and everybody's out like that, looking at who's coming out of their tents. It's so true that people will observe your every move in life. Now, we know the Lord Jesus washed the disciples' feet, but he always remained the servant king. And my wife knew someone that worked for Rosemary Connolly, who was the Christian uh, dietary and keep fit author. And one day, Rosemary organised a coach trip for all her employees. And when the coach door had shut and the coach started to go down the road, basically, she put on an apron and she served all of her team on the coach, just served them all. And that says something about leadership in action. So in a leadership capacity, how can we affect our workplaces, homes, unis, unis, schools, etc.? Firstly, by having sound traits such as faithfulness, integrity, honesty, friendliness, diligence, endurance, etc. Proverbs 3 verses 3 to 4 says this, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favour and a good name in the sight of God's and man. So firstly, good traits, and secondly, we can affect those around us by having good ethics that govern our behaviours. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. 
there'd be many days when I was glad to recall that scripture and that my boss really did have my best interest at heart. You know what it's like sometimes. You go to work, it's really tough, but actually we work for God and not for man. Matthew 25, 21 is an illumination. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in, with a few things and I will put you in charge of many things. Love and faithfulness wins favour. Be faithful in the small things, in the office, the school, the uni, in the home. Be a servant first and a leader second. So how do we know how we're getting on in our leadership roles? Key, be brave and ask for some feedback. And church leaders, if you're a church leader, do this as well. Feedback is a free gift and it enables other people to learn more about themselves, their performance and behaviour and the effect on other people. So I use many times at work 360 degree feedback, which is a system which employees receive confidential and anonymous feedback from the people that work around them. But don't just ask those who would give you favourable feedback. And I did that once. I sent out some 360 degree feedback to my team. Now, it was anonymous, so they could have written what they like to write, basically, about me. It came back fairly favourable. But actually, when my boss saw it, she said, well, actually, you should have written out to more people outside of your immediate team to see what they thought about you. And actually, that's true. Don't just go where the safe zone is on this one. Write out to people that are actually on the periphery to get some really good feedback about how you're actually doing. And then don't be afraid to receive it and act on it. Um, The truth can literally set you free. And some people said some things about me that I wasn't aware of the way I was operating in the business. And I actually had to take that on the chest and actually said, actually, that's probably right. And I had to actually knuckle down and change that. So what if I encounter opposition and misunderstanding in my role? I think prayer is an important part there, but also practicality. And can I strongly recommend Myers-Briggs type indicator or MBTI, those that you've done it, I'm sure you'll be very familiar with that. It's a psychometric indicator designed to reveal your personality type through eight different values, and it's really, really good. So me personally, if any of you have done that before, I am an INFJ. Okay, so I'm an introvert. I am intuitive, feeling, and judging. Now, uh, my last boss was an ESTP, which is the exact opposite of every single value. And there were times, actually, when, under the judging, I was planning and organising, and she was actually spontaneous and flexible. And there were some times when, actually, I was thinking, I need to get this organised. What's happening? Does she not understand? I need some feedback here. And it wasn't until someone said, do you realise that your boss is actually an ESTP? And that's one of the reasons, actually, you're struggling with what you're trying to get through. And there was things that I frustrated her madly with, and and vice versa. But until I realised, actually, we're all different in the workplace... I suddenly came to a place of thinking, right, well, she's going to operate like that, and I'll operate like that, and there must be a coming together. There must be a meeting in the middle of those two things. Husbands and wives, how about having a crack at that? There's an online version of the Myers-Briggs thing, which is really good. Um, and I'm thinking, you know, we're about to sort of re- redo our marriage course at Jubilee and our pre-marriage course, and I'm thinking it would be really good to slot something like that in there as well because actually some people come into a relationship, pulls apart, and they suddenly realise, why am I different from my, other, from my partner? But the Myers-Briggs thing, or the home version of it, is really good. My son did it recently and, um, and found out a lot about himself. So that's worth it. Okay, so that's aspiring to leadership. So if you're already in leadership, let me just give you what I've, what I've worked for for a lot of my life, really, which is what I call the eight C's. So eight personal qualities found in a good leader, eight C's. The first one is cast. 
Good leaders cast vision and ensure the vision doesn't diminish in its importance. Now, even today, up on the stage there, Jeremy was casting a vision for this weekend about the presence of the Lord coming. So it's really important that good leaders cast the vision and then they follow it up. And Proverbs 29 verse 18 in the King James Version says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. So leaders, we must cast vision for ourselves in leadership roles. If there's no vision, people aren't going anywhere in a hurry. So whether it's a vision of value and a value and objective or a goal, it must be clearly written, it must be accessible to your employees, and it must be regularly revisited. You can't just cast a vision and walk away. You must come back to it time and time again to make sure you're always hitting that mark. So that's the first one, casting vision. Number two, character. A good leader has an exemplary character. It is of the utmost importance that the leader is trustworthy to lead others. A leader needs to be trusted and to be known to live their life with honesty and integrity. A good leader walks the talk and in doing so earns the right to have responsibility to look after others. True authority is born from respect for the good character and trustworthiness of the person that leads. So that's caste, character. Number three, cause. A good leader is enthusiastic about their work or cause and also about their role as a leader. People respond more openly to a person of passion and dedication. And this type of leader will not be afraid to roll up their sleeves and get their hands dirty. Number four, confidence. A good leader is confident. In order to lead and set direction, a leader needs to appear confident as a person and in a leadership role. Such a person will inspire confidence in others and draws out the trust and best efforts of the team to complete the task well. Number five, crisis. A leader also needs to function in an orderly and purposeful manner in situations of uncertainty. People will look to the leader during times of uncertainty and unfamiliarity and find reassurance and security when the leader portrays confidence and a positive demeanour. Number six, cool. Good leaders are tolerant of ambiguity and remain calm, composed and steadfast to the goals and objectives they have set. Storms, emotions and crises come and go and a good leader takes these as part of the journey and keeps a cool head at all times. Number seven, components. Not only does a good leader view the situation as a whole but is able to break it down into subparts for closer inspection and make progress towards the end goal. And finally, number eight, committed. A good leader is committed to excellence. Second best does not lead to success. A good leader not only maintains high standards, but also is proactive in raising the bar in order to achieve excellence in all areas. And there's a quote I found the other day. If your actions inspires others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, then you're a leader. Let me just read that again. If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. So these eight personal qualities are foundational to good leadership, in my opinion. Some characteristics may be more naturally present in the personality of a leader. However, each of these characteristics can also be developed and strengthened. So leadership qualities and characteristics should also be combined with leadership styles. And there's many models out in in the workplace about leadership styles. I would recommend, personally, Daniel Goleman's Six Leadership Styles, if anybody's come across that before. So there are six leadership styles under his um, model he brought out in 2002. There's visionary, coaching, affiliative, 
democratic, peace-setting and commanding. So six styles. And basically what Daniel is saying is that you will flex in and out of those different styles dependent on the situation you find yourself in. So some, some days as a leader you're going to be casting vision and following vision up. But there'll be some days you turn into the democratic leader because actually you've got a tight deadline and tomorrow you've got to deliver something for your boss. So you're going to flex in and out of those leadership styles. So the qualities and the, and the styles need to go hand in hand pretty much. So can I then come on to team development and coaching briefly? So firstly, looking at some labour turnover statistics, which are quite, quite some unnerving really. Current labour turnover for 2013 and 14 was between 15 and 18%. 31% of people have quit their job within the first six months of employment. And the top reasons people leave are related to changing expectations about the job. And I guess that probably comes from poor inductions in the first place, people walking and not knowing quite what they're expecting and what the company's going to deliver for them. 22% of turnover occurs in the first 45 days of employment. And the cost of losing an employee in the first year is estimated to be at least three times their salary. So there's a massive cost if we get it wrong in the early days, but a massive um, bonus if we can get it right. So I guess I would say invest, invest, invest. That team is your greatest asset. Whatever they look like now, whatever they might be, it's your greatest asset you'll ever have if you have a team with you. And I love team. There's an old saying, there's no I in team. I'm sure you've heard that one before, and that's quite right. You know, the leader should sort of all mould in, basically. They shouldn't stand out. There's times when the leader stands up and takes the, takes the rap, does the directional stuff, but actually there's no I in team. I love team. Um, T-E-A-M, together everybody achieves more. I guess you've heard that as well. So together, everybody achieves more, and together being the key word here. And um, Henry Ford made this statement, coming together is a beginning, keeping together is progress, but working together is success. And that's all what it's all about, isn't it? It's all about being together, one team. But don't make any assumptions about your team. Do they know where they're going? How will they get there, and how will you or the company you work for support them on that journey? As already discussed, have they got visions, values, objectives and goals? Are they clearly written, accessible and regularly revisited? Have they got job profiles? Are they recompensed well if within your powers? But you can still influence it if they're not. So one of my team basically, um, their salary was falling behind the others. So I wrote to my boss, put out a business case about their salary basically and that was taken on board and that was changed. So you can change things like salary in, in business. Uh, do you do reviews and appraisals process, both informal and formal? Uh, and remember, appraisals are a two-way coaching conversation. It's not beating anybody up with a, with, a, with a stick here. It's a coaching conversation about how they're getting on, how you can support them, their concerns, etc., etc. And succession planning. Can they clearly see the next stages for their growth and how to achieve promotions, etc., in the business? I guess... The next thing I would talk about is have you analysed the strengths and weaknesses of your team, especially a new team that might, you might be setting up or about to set up. And I would recommend using Bruce Tuckman's 1965 model of the four stages of team building to work out at what stage they are at currently. And again, many of you will have heard of the forming, storming, norming and performing approach from Bruce Tuckman. 
And forming's when, obviously, they're getting together in the early stages and everybody's finding their own level, etc., etc. Storming's when everybody's trying to find and pushing against each other. And then, after a time, we get into the norming. And then, when we get to the performing stage, really, your team's po- probably in full flow, making some really good headway. And I would say one of the things that I really want to bring out today is take measured and educated chances with individuals. There will be some gems out there waiting to be uncovered. Don't write anybody off, okay? I've had a couple of people being given to my team. I probably didn't want them really, but actually as we start to work work with them, you find there's some absolute gems out there that want to be parts of teams. They may have had a rough ride before or whatever, or they may not know exactly what team's all about, but there's some real gems to be uncovered in the workplace. I don't know if anybody ever saw the film Dirty Dozen. I'm sure some of the guys will have seen this. It's a Second World War film. And this major basically is given an assignment to go behind enemy lines and do something with the enemy. I don't know what it was really. I think it was get get some gold or something. And rather than going to all the elite regiments, he went to the local prison basically and he he released all of the really bad people out of the prison, all the the 'er ne'er-do-wells out of the prison. And they all had something wrong with their characters, quite obviously. But he moulded them together. He put them through all the... You know, went through a tough time together, but actually at the end of it, they came out as a really well-moulded team and they delivered the objective. So it's a bit like Kelly, Kelly's heroes putting a... Sorry, Dirty Dozen putting a team together. So allow growth in your team. Don't feel threatened by it, it as it, it will add rather than undermine you. So let your team breathe, as it were. Don't, don't um, just squash them or undermine them. Keep equipping them and ensure they're multi-skilled. Uh, it's easy to leave a team member in the right place because actually that's their attributes, that's their strengths. But actually as you move people around within the team, it makes you as an individual much stronger to walk away. So when someone gets a promotion, someone leaves for whatever reason, actually the team doesn't fall, somebody else steps into that role and you start working on someone else again. So I know personally I'm not good in a lone setting, but I come alive in a team setting. I love team. You know, I love team around me. I, I'm not very good at talking to myself. I'm, I'd much rather talk to other people around me. So uh, team's great for me. Uh, coming on to just a final couple of thoughts now on communication, because communication is an absolutely vast subject. But uh, here's a statement about communication from an American broadcasting company, and it went like this. We know that communication is a problem, but the company is not, not going to discuss it with its employees. And that's sometimes, sometimes the way it's, it is, isn't it? You know, we want to get communication across, but the communication um, lines are p- pretty blurred in some respects. Uh, remote teams, many of you might work with remote teams, communication issues. Um, we started to use WebEx in the last days of being with Morrison's video conferencing, conference call, phone, email. But whatever format you use, it's impossible to over-communicate, in my opinion. You just need to keep the communication. So me personally, I'd speak to pretty much every one of my team every other day. Without, they'd either phone me up or I'd phone them up. Not that I was keeping a, an, an eye on them, but they just wanted to talk about what they'd done in the day, and that was great. And every Friday I'd have a conference call, just say, how have you done this week, guys? This is what we're going to be doing this week. And again, a bit like casting the vision. What are we doing? What are we working towards over the next six to eight weeks? Important to communicate, communicate. Okay, just closing statements from me now, just to recap a couple of key points. Number one, firstly, have a growth mindset at all times and whatever you work towards. So uh, some of you may have come across a lady called Carol Dweck, who's a professor of psychology at Stanford University, and she came up with this growth and fixed mindset. If you haven't looked at that before, it's really worth digging that out. I haven't got time to go into it today. But a, a growth mindset 
and a fixed mindset. She did a lot of work with, with um, young children to start with, and she's now taken that into the, sort of into the business world. So let me give you some examples here. So there is, down the left-hand side, really, there would be five attributes. So the first one would be a challenge, okay? So someone with a fixed mindset would avoid a challenge, but someone with a growth mindset would embrace a challenge. Under obstacles, someone with a fixed mindset would give up easily, but someone with a growth mindset would persist in the face of setbacks. Under effort, someone with a fixed mindset would see effort as fruitless or worthless, but someone with a growth mindset would see effort as the path to mastery. Under criticism, someone with a fixed mindset would ignore useful negative feedback, but someone with a growth mindset would say, I'm going to learn from criticism. And finally, under the success of others, a fixed mindset would say, I feel threatened, but a growth mindset would say, I, feel, I find lessons and inspiration in the success of others. So the final result of both of those two mindsets, and this is a very brief overview of it, is someone with a fixed mindset would plateau early and achieve less than full potential, but someone with a growth mindset would reach ever higher levels of achievement. So in your business world, in your leadership role, have a growth mindset at all times. I can achieve over and above, and especially with God on your side as well, we can overachieve in the workplace. So first of all, have a growth mindset. Secondly, don't let anybody write you off. 1 Corinthians one twenty seven said, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And that's so important, actually. Younger people here about to go into leadership, don't let anybody write you off, okay? God has that scripture, write that on the tablet of your heart, as it were. And sometimes I felt really foolish. I'm not wise in the workplace, and I'm very weak at times. But actually, I'm working unto the God, unto Lord. And thirdly, and lastly, keep a great work life and home life balance. It's so, so important, and I'm sure you would recognise that. Lastly, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task, but remember, Jesus came as a servant king. And I'm done. So I'm really happy at the end um, to pray for people, to go into any of those models or discuss anything further, but now I'd like to hand over to Keith and Rachel. Okay. Um, Obviously, Keith and Rachel Cooper, we run um, some optical practices and they are based in Cheshire. Our first opticians we opened in 2000 and um, that was in Nantwich and we employ currently about 14 people. Our second practice we opened in Tarpley, which is a smaller village about eight miles away um, on the way towards Chester and... um, I actually didn't come from an optical background at all. I originally trained as a primary school teacher and then um, went to Northern Ireland. You'll notice in a moment when Keith speaks, he is from Northern Ireland. And um, (laughs) when we lived in Northern Ireland, I worked for the district council as the education officer and managed the heritage centre where I had probably about 20 members of staff to look after. And I worked with Catholic and Protestant children from different sides of the community, getting them to work together on school trips um, to um, interact with each other. So that was the background that I came from. And then um, we decided we would open the business in Nantwich and move back 
to Cheshire to do that, which is where I'm originally from. And um, I'll let Keith introduce himself. Do you want to say what you're doing, what you're doing in the business at the moment? Oh, yes. Yeah. At the moment, I work um, probably two or three days a week, usually two days a week on the shop floor, and one day a week in the, in the head office, um, looking after all the accounts. And I do a lot of staff. I manage the staff, look after shop windows, do all the buying and sourcing of new products. That's great. So, I mean, we are a very different setup to, to the like of John, so we're, we're very small, we're independent. Um, my background is in optometry, so I trained at um, Cardiff University, where we, we met, of course. Um, and, uh, um, and over the next number of years, really just worked within um, various um, different types of opticians, so both in the multiple sector, but also with independence. Um, and then as we opened, say, we opened in, in 2000, um, really had to work very hard to, to begin with, to be fair. We, we lived above the shop. Um, we, we, we basically had invested virtually everything into, into the start-up of, of this particular business. Um, and uh, so I, I worked six days a week. Um, I basically learned, I suppose, I, I suppose I, I did virtually everything because there was nobody else around to do it. Um, but um, over the years, just, you know, as the business grew, obviously just learned really the business inside out, which has been really valuable. Nowadays, um, I work four days a week, um, testing four days a week, um, oversight, particularly with the clinical aspects of the business, but also, I guess, with, with direction along with Rachel in terms of management as well. We're also church planters um, in our spare time. And uh, um, so we, we, we planted it in 2012 um, into Chester as well. Um, just to say a little bit more about a background, actually, I think I mean, from the very beginning um, of our business, we, we really feel and still feel that actually everything we do, we do for God's glory. Um, and, and that's, that's, you know, so when, when, we, when we open the business, it's about building God's kingdom. Um, but maybe differently to, to what we do in our churches, but actually it's just as significant and just as important. So the qualities, the three values we have really were, first of all, um, was, was quality, um, providing the best, aiming for excellence. The second value is integrity, honesty in everything and with everyone. And the last one is, is care, just listening and responding to our customers' needs. Um, so some of the things we've learned over the past 15 years running the business, um, we've got seven for you. Um, the first one I've written down is to know your market. Decide what you want to, where, where you want your market to be and, and go for it really. When, when we first started out, there was quite a lot of opticians, um, in Northern Ireland. So that was why we decided to move to Cheshire, um, to back to Cheshire. We wanted to do it in a town where people knew one of us. So we picked my hometown, and we also didn't want to compete with the really um, big multiples that were hitting the bottom end of the market because we thought there's no point. They've got it all sewn up, really. There's not there's not much give there. And Nantwich, where I'm from, um, and there are some people here from Nantwich, it's quite an affluent sort of middle-class market town sort of a place. So we went with the top high-end designer label market, um, which is quite an interesting um, clientele at times, but um, but you really do need to know your market. The second practice we we bought um, in Tarpley, which is in a little village, and it might sound quite small, but it's got a lot of footballers' wives and all sorts of people from that sort of side. But um, so we have lots of different sorts of people um, as well. But I would say know your market, where you want to be. So this, the second thing um, is really to, to stick to what you're good at. 
very, very, very simply. But uh, everybody's got skills. Everybody's got gifts. Some of them, of course, are learnt. Um, I, obviously, I did my degree in optometry. I learnt. Um, I went to university to, to actually develop some of those skills. Some of them are, are obviously God-given gifts. Obviously, and our spiritual gifts come into play this as well. But as John's already said, we need to know our strengths and also our weaknesses. And that's really important if you are a leader that you you know you know yourself. You know where you excel, but also actually you need to know where your weaknesses are as well and be honest with yourself and then just make sure that you get people around you, as, as John has said, who can really perhaps excel in those areas where you maybe struggle with. So number three was to value your customer. Um, you can walk into any shop, any retail shop, and in fact probably any business, but the most important person in that business is the customer. If you don't look after your customer, you won't have a business. Um, so we value every single person that comes through the door, no matter who they are, a lord or a lady, a sir, or um, somebody from any any walk of life at all, to the person who really just wants the cheapest NHS pair of glasses that they can, they can have. They all get the same treatment. We value everybody equally in the same way as you would in a church when we're church planting. Um, so we give everyone a cup of tea, we ask them how they are, then we sit them on a sofa, we look after them, and we spend quite a lot of time with them. That's good. Um, number four is um, don't compromise on what you believe. We're called to we're called to to live for Jesus, to be like Jesus. We're called to be carriers of His presence, and that's everywhere, isn't it? Where, no matter where you go, and, and our workplaces, of course, are, are no different. And sometimes, when you do this, sometimes it can be challenging, but actually, sometimes it can be it can be costly, financially costly, if you are to live a life that is full of integrity and honesty. One of the early challenges that I faced, that we faced, um, when we after we first opened the, the, the practice was um, we would get a number of people, actually surprisingly large number of people for a small practice, coming in with insurance claims for, for broken glasses. But they'd come up to me and said, Keith, you wouldn't mind, you wouldn't just stick 50 quid on the bill for me because then it'll cover the excess of my insurance company and it'll, it'll be great because I'll get my full amount of money back. And, and, and of course we have to say no because it's, it's just dishonest. But I'll tell you what, the pressure really builds in those moments, particularly when money is tight, when cash flow is a problem, when you're worried at the end of the month, will you actually meet the, uh, the, the, the bills are not, it's very tempting to, to think, you know what, I could just compromise slightly in this area. You know, who would notice, who would, who would really care? But it is absolutely important that you hold to what you believe in, that you stick to the truth. And as, as time has gone on, as we've stuck to that, as we've, we've hopefully remained, um, uh, sort of um, people of integrity within the workplace. We have we have grown a business that actually people trust. We, we've built um, both within our, our workforce and but also within the town in which, in which we work. So I would really emphasise in everything: never compromise on your godly principles, your godly values. Yeah, that's right. And number five is you have to take risks to succeed. When we first started out, we had a house. We sold the house and used the cash that we had to buy all the stock in the shop and the equipment that we needed to test eyes. And we lived upstairs and rented the shop and lived in the, in the flat above. 
I remember moving in, the floorboards were up and there was joiners everywhere and plumbers and it was a real mess. And we were like, what are we doing? And I was actually seeing reps in our living room buying vast quantities of frames from all the top designers. And I was thinking, this is crazy. But, you know, you have to do it. You have to take a risk to succeed in what you're going to do. Obviously, it needs to be um, a a risk that you've worked out and make sure that it's okay. But the other thing as well is I want to emphasize is that sometimes, you know, we do fail. And it's okay to fail as long as we learn from what we failed in. Um, As I said before, we had an internet business as well that we opened in 2012 where we were selling contact lenses online and some makeup for people who wear contact lenses and and, um, various other bits and bobs and solutions and things. But the contact lens part of that business, um, because of the legal requirements that you have to put in place for someone to purchase, we wanted to make sure that we did it properly. There are other companies, shall we say, that don't have the, the, the hoops that you have to jump through to be able to purchase something. It's a medical device, a prescribed medical medical device that you, you're going to wear in your eye. And if you don't put in all those places, then we would be doing a disservice to our customer. And the trouble was, um, we were making them ask, we were asking too much, if you like, to make them jump through all those hoops to the point that they were thinking, oh no, I'll just go somewhere else. They don't ask all those questions. But we wanted to do it the right way. So we, we, in the end, what would happen is somebody would purchase and then we would end up having to give their money back because they hadn't told us whether they'd had a contact lens checkup or not and whether it was in date or not in date or they'd try and order something that they hadn't actually been prescribed. So we ended up having to give so many refunds away, we decided actually to close that part of the business because for us, it wasn't competitive to to um, compete with other people who weren't doing the same thing. Um, so it wasn't a level field, if you like. Um, but it's okay as long as we learn from it. Um, okay. Um, fifthly, then, is to um, to spot any, any bottlenecks <laughs> to, to growth. Um, as a leader, you need just to be constantly aware of, of what's going well, but also actually what, what isn't going well, and, and actually just then to be prepared to make a few changes if, if that is necessary. And this can be anything from a, a business strategy to, in, in our case, maybe to, to a, a product range that perhaps isn't selling very well, or, or what happens, happened more often actually is a very controlling member of staff, and, and, and these things can act as bottlenecks that actually will prevent the business from growing, but reaching its, its, its full potential. So important that you deal with these things early on when you when you see them that you don't don't allow it to become a, an issue within the business itself the last one yeah sorry i'm the last one haven't I? yeah that's fine most importantly i mean not most importantly one of the things is this is we must never forget that a business is there to make money i know it's blatantly obvious but it's so key we are there to make money and listen this is this is kingdom work for the sake of God, as I said at the very beginning, we are passionate that what we do in the opticians, just as much what we do in the church plant, is God's kingdom work for building his kingdom for the glory of his name. And listen, it is okay to be successful, and it's okay to make money. Now with that, of course, comes a certain amount of responsibility, because as God gives, we need to be men and women who are also generous with what, with what, with what God has given us. We all know, I hope we know, that actually everything we have has ultimately come from our Father in Heaven in the first place. We're just sort of, we're just sort of caretakers of it or, or borrowers of it or whatever you want to do, but we, it's up to us to be 
to be giving that, back, giving that back to redistributing it. So as we, we make money, as we, we generate income, we can feed it back into, into God's work, into the building of God's kingdom. And, and, and my passion is to see more people, just more startups, more people in business life. You know, as, as part of God's kingdom, we need to be generating income for church growth, for church planting, just for, to see the gospel spread throughout this nation and into the nations of the world. And listen, this is as much a godly, kingdom-expanding calling as any other type of leadership. Too often, too often, the only type of leadership that many of us aspire to is into church leadership. We, we believe that's the pinnacle of leadership. Listen, that is so short-sighted. And I should know, I'm trained in this area. But seriously, it is so short-sighted. Listen, God wants many of us, I hope all of us, to be thinking, you know what? How can I generate financial income for the building of God's kingdom, for the growth and for the glory of his name? We're finished there. But questions, if you want to. Um, John's going to answer them all. (laughs) No. Seriously, if you want, do you want want every time for it? We've got a few, few minutes, have we? Yeah. Sorry? Repeat. Okay, I will do. Sorry, yeah. Repeat the question for the sake of the recording. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Anything? Oh, yeah, here we go. Very difficultly, yeah. How do you cope with a bottleneck employee? Yeah, thank you, Rachel. That's why we're a team. We, we, we've, we've come across it, yeah, we've, we've, I would say probably once seriously uh, and once less seriously. I, th- I mean, I think first of all, you, you begin by, by just sitting down and, and talking to them um, and trying to expand them and just make them a little bit aware perhaps of, 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 the, uh, of, of the issues around them. The big issue we had in the very early days, we had one employee um, who was... Um, who was basically in the reception area, who, who really grew as the business grew, but then we tried, when the reason we wanted to bring other folks in and just struggled to work with, to work with, with other people. So just trying to build this whole team thing that John has, you know, has been, been, been mentioning about, making sure that people, ultimately that person actually left. Um, and uh, sometimes it comes down to that. Um, we, it just was a, you know, j- just it was a mutual decision. Let's just say um, it's not not always comfortable, but sometimes, yeah, you, sometimes yeah, that, that that that's what that's what ultimately happens. But sometimes, particularly as the business is growing, obviously we, we we've coming from from nothing, you know, to you know, and, and as as the, as, the, as the sort of f- f- folks coming through, the business is dramatically changing, and over you know over each year, it's, it's it looks very different, and certainly five years on, looks very different to what it did with the very very beginning um, and people either join that, join that journey um, or they, they sometimes leave you um, but uh, John anything to add to that I guess I'd just reiterate a couple of things about um, setting up formalities in the workplace so if you've got a formal structure which you know that you're going to sit down with the employees on a basis and you're going to have a script in front of you of what to go through then people that don't understand where the business is going or what your aspirations are, very quickly learn that in those settings. So when you're giving feedback, two-way feedback in there, and you're asking them open questions about how do you think you're doing, and they're saying, well, I think I'm doing really well. Actually, you're not doing exactly what we want you to do. So I think conversation and communication in the early days in a very structured way is very helpful to avert that type of thing happening in your business.
Um, how do you deal with a difficult boss? We don't really have that problem. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Maybe John could do that one. How long have you got? Um, I, I think, again, it's, it's, I know it's an easy way, word to throw out about communication, but it is about communication. Sometimes you have to be the brave person to put up your hand and say, actually, I don't understand what you're asking me to do or I don't quite understand where we're going with this particular thing. Can we sit down and talk about it? And there's been some very awkward times in my working life where I've had to sit down with bosses, and they are a breed apart, certainly. I mean, I've been a boss of my own team, I guess, and people might look at me and think, well, you've got that one wrong, and I certainly probably have done in the past. But um, difficult bosses, sometimes <laughs> there's no simple answer. I think a lot of it is prayer, to be quite honest with you. And, and I've prayed about situations in the workplace before, and things have changed without me doing much. But sometimes you have to tackle things head on. You can't keep ducking below the radar thinking, this is going to go away. Sometimes you have to be brave and just stand up and say, look, can we sit down, please? In, a, in an informal way, it's not, oh, I need to sit down with you in your office in half an hour's time. Can we have a cup of coffee together? Can we talk over what you've asked me to do? I'm not quite, I don't think I'm on the same line as you. So communication and openness is a real real valuable approach, I think, to difficult bosses in the workplace. Okay. Yeah, I suspect the answer is going to be the same, but the question is about micromanagement. How do you avoid micromanaging people? And what happens if you feel you are being micromanaged? If you feel... So, so the question was, how, how do you feel if you feel you're being micromanaged? Yeah. Okay, so for me, I think it's all about clear goals and objectives for the whole team and each team playing their part in it. So, so I would apportion out workload for the next six weeks in advance in my setting, basically, and, and ensure everybody knew what they were doing, what the expectations were, what the results would be, how do they know if they've been successful, and then stepping back and actually allowing them to make some mistakes along the way because that's when you go back and you sit down and say, okay, you did a really great job here. How could you have done that slightly better? So it's almost taking your foot off the accelerator at that stage and letting them go in the early days of a team, certainly for me. Let them go, find their own feet, and then go back and feedback on how they've done. Um, and, I, and I was I micromanaging. There were some times when we had a project on that I thought, actually, I need to step back into the, into the front here and make sure that this is delivered on time. But most of the time, I'd step well back from the team, hopefully knowing what they, they knew that what the objectives to achieve were at that stage. Don't know if you've got anything to add on that one, guys. I, I was only going to say, if you've got a good team and they know what they're doing, usually they sort of work it out for themselves, and it's better really if they think it's what they think they should do rather than what you're telling them to do. Um, if that sort of makes sense, <laughs> not obviously in a manipula manipulative way, but no, but for them to do that, it, it's much better because um, then it becomes a team thing rather than this is what I want you to do. I think I think really the key thing is is, is, is trusting people, isn't it? And you, you and that's, that's as, as a boss, it is it is difficult, um, but it, it's it's really as you say taking taking a step back. Sometimes you've asked them to do a job, you really got to do it. Um, got to let them get on and do it, and actually make a few mistakes along the way. And you know we, we all we're all we're all guilty of making a few mistakes along the way. So uh, none of us can uh, none of us are, are beyond that.
Okay, um, the gentleman asked if if there was keys to um, whether secular leadership was what he had called you to. I, I think in any God-given thing, really, you, you obviously pray about it, and sometimes God really clearly says, this is what I want you to do. And other times we just sometimes have to step out, um, and only when we step out do we realize that that is what we're meant to do. Sometimes it takes that step of faith first in the first place. Um, but... I don't know if you want to add any more to that, John. I suppose I'm in a slightly unique setting now because having worked in uh, retail for that 32 years, I'm now coming to work in the church. So um, I guess you, you, earn your, you earn your spurs in some respects in the, in the workplace. I've made many mistakes in the workplace. I hopefully have learned through quite a few of them. And, and for the last three or four years, I've been wondering if whether God's calling me to work in the church setting. But I've learned what I hope is going to be valuable for the church in the way of leadership growth models and my heart is to develop younger people into leadership in the church and with what I've learned in the secular workplace if I can bring that back into the church now I hope that's what God's calling me to but some people work the other way around and I don't think there's a right or wrong answer in that one I I think we're just just quickly just on that one I think we're we're really we're passionate about about church planting. It's it's, uh, um, and and I think actually, for, if we want to really see the vision of many churches planted, we need people who are willing to be to be um, both working. We 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 are bivocational at the moment, and uh, unless God tells us otherwise, we, we we plan to stay that way. Um, and uh, but I, I do think you know you know. One of the biggest things that holds us back mostly is, is just is resources and, and financial resources um, in terms of, of really seeing um, churches planted and, and churches growing and so on. So I, th- I think I think it's it's, it's, a, it's a absolutely godly calling um, on on each one of us. I think I think we've all got responsibility there to step out. I think um, you know we, I think and, and you just read through the scriptures and just encourage us to be to be with men and women who, who are working, who, who you know who are providing obviously for our families, but providing for for the building of God's kingdom as well. So is it a calling? Yeah, I guess it's a calling. Um, but um, I think it's also it's partly a, maybe a command of Scripture as well to, 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 to be working and, and to be fulfilling God's, God's, God's command over our lives. So the question was, what's the best way to communicate kingdom values to uh, to a team of, of uh, a secular team who you're, who you're working with? Um, I well, I tell you what we what, what we do. We we I mean everybody knows that, that we're Christians. That, I mean from 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 day one as they, they come in, we, we when we interview people, we tell them we, we are Christians. Um, this is how we want to. We, we talk about the the three three values that we we mentioned there. We we want to we, we we say look, we, we want things to be done with integrity throughout. Um, and actually, if you do something that's wrong, it reflects badly on us on our Christian values. So we, we that's certainly part of part of of sort of conversations we we will always have with with, uh, with with folks in there I, I, the bottom line I think people watch and see what you do and the best way of 
of of of um, of sending out wrong messages is just not doing what you speak, what you're saying you're going to do. So it's making sure in everything that actually you're completely honest, you're completely trustworthy, and and you know, and, you know, well, you know what it's like in business life. That's rare these days, to be honest. Uh, unfortunately, you know, in sales, I mean, you know, we're, we're in sales as well. It's it's really rare. I mean, it's partly you know why I mean, we mentioned the contact lens end of our end of our the retail end of, end of our, our, our business. You know what I mean, um, to do it well. You know, with integrity, we, 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 we found that area of the business, we just couldn't get it to work. Now, I'm not saying others may be able to, but we couldn't get it to work. However, with, with, with the, the sort of bre- the, the, um, brick and mortar end of things, with the, you know, the opticians, we can get that to work. And it works well, it works well for us. Um, and actually being, being, I guess, just hopefully living out, um, a godly life. We, we don't, we, we, we'll share our faith and we, people often ask what happened, what do you do on Sunday and so on and so forth. The usual sort of conversation we, we all have. But, but I, I think, I think your lifestyle, uh, for, you know, and, and my lifestyle should speak volumes. Um, and, and people do notice, you know, they, they do, they do, they do sit up and notice, I think. I will say just on that we've got we've obviously employ a lot of staff and quite at, at, in the early days when we get a new member of staff sometimes they'll swear when they first arrive and then within a week two weeks they just don't swear at all and none of our staff now ever swear I don't actually remember um, but it, it's really odd it just sort of rubs off when they're in that environment it just sort of rubs off and it, it's really good <laughs> sorry you, you've had a question for a long time gone. So the question was all about appraisals, PDRs in the, in the workplace. Is that relevant in a church setting? I think it is. Uh, I think there has to be a measure of that in the church. But, but I think my caution would be uh, the wording we bring into the church setting, really, because uh, having done many PDRs and appraisals over the years, the, 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 some of the standards we'd set, some of the way we... Um, Appraise people is not a helpful wording or language to bring into a church setting. Uh, and I think, if I'm totally honest with you, I still, I think we're still working through that in the church setting. Um, uh, I've been the uh, chairman of the trustees in our church and we, we struggle with that a little bit and how does that work? Uh, I think there is a place because I think, you know, as a leader of a church, you want to know how you're getting on as well and you want some feedback on how you're doing. And church leadership can sometimes be quite a lonely place. You know, how, how do people think I'm doing this week? How, how do, am I leading the flock well? And we have to have that in there because otherwise church leaderships become very remote and very isolated if we're not careful. So there has to be that in there. But my caution just is about the wording and the depth that we go into in some of that stuff. Yeah. Well, one other thing was um, we I did at the very beginning start to implement that because I'd brought it from obviously working in the district council in Northern Ireland. And I thought, I'm going to do this with the staff. But we were very small, well, we were a very small staff, and it's more like a little family. 
I'm more like a church, you know, because in numbers I'm talking about. So I think I decided very, very quickly, actually, this isn't really working. I'm just going to do it informally. And actually, it works much better in a smaller team because we know each other so well. They know us and they can come to us whenever they want. They haven't got to wait till a certain date to to do whatever it is that they're going to do. And I I think it works better like that if it's, if it, well, for for us it did in the opticians um, with a smaller team. I can understand it in a big team, though. You need a lot of management to do that. Great. Thank you so much, guys. I'm going to press pause for a moment. And um, I'd like us to do something. We've got about 10 minutes before we finish. And uh, I was recently, uh, not so long ago, at a Willow Creek uh, conference. I'm sure many of you have been to some of the Leadership Summit things. And what they did after, um, it was a video presentation uh, a video talk. What they did after that was they got us into small groups of two or three people and we just shared one or two lessons that we had learnt that morning from what we just heard. And I found that exercise so helpful because it, it sort of landed some things for me. Rather than just thinking, oh that was good and we just walked out, that was a good session. Actually, you know, we were sharing with one another what's the perhaps one or two take home points that have landed and you're going to implement once you get, once you get home. So can I suggest you break into twos and threes, please no more than that, and just share one or two take-homes that you've got from this morning and you know how you're going to implement, or maybe some things you're going to do as a result of what you've heard this morning. We'll do that for five minutes, then we're going to pray together before we finish. Is that okay? So you've got about five minutes to do that. Share one or two things real quick, what are the take-homes from this morning?
by some sort of impartation. Okay, you have 30 seconds left. folks, if I can draw your conversations to a close please. In our closing moments what I'd like us to do is pray together and uh, there isn't time to to pray for everybody individually uh, but what I've just asked uh, these guys to do is to pray over us together. And uh, I, I believe in impartation, I believe God's going to do something as we pray and uh, I've asked them to pray over us for the leadership challenges that we face, the situations that are before us in whatever arena of life that might be. Uh, I've asked them to pray for impartation and faith and dreams and business success and startups and all these sort of things. And uh, this is not just, oh, it's the way we wrap up meetings. No, I believe God's going to do something in these moments. So can I ask us to stand together? And I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to to come and be at work amongst us. Not that he hasn't already, he has. Um, and then I'm going to ask these guys to, to pray over us. So I, I'd love us, let's be expectant now for God to speak. It may be even in these moments that God gives godly ideas for start-up enterprises that will extend his kingdom. It may be even in these moments that God gives you um, a way through on a leadership challenge you're facing. It may be even in these moments that the Holy Spirit whispers something to you, saying, ah, oh, I get it now, I see a way through on this. So, so friends, let's, let's be uh, open, let's come with faith now. Lord Jesus, thank you for all that we have heard from these guys this morning. Thank you, Lord, uh, that before us we've seen men and women of integrity who have been able to communicate something of your heart. Uh, and the skills and knowledge they have. We thank you for them. We bless you for them. We say now, Lord, in these moments, Holy Spirit, come and speak. <laughs> Lord, come and speak. We want to hear from heaven now, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit.
I just uh, really feel to pray for those of you that are in leadership at the moment. And I just got this picture of a bit of disarray around you. And you, you feel that actually you've taken a very stern approach with your leadership style. And there's like shattered crockery around you. And you, you, in your heart you think, oh, I've blown it. There's no way back from that situation now. My, my team don't function as a team. They don't trust me as a leader any longer. But I just want to say to you this morning that God's grace is upon you this morning. God's grace is upon you this morning to get up and run again. And yes, you'll learn from some mistakes and maybe you need to soften your heart in some respects. But God's grace is upon you to pull those things together, to mend that crockery again, to run with the vision that you've set your team in the early days. I just want to pray for people that are about to set up or newly set up a team as well. And you know how demanding that can be when you've got individuals all after your time and you think, I've never got enough time in the day to deal with all the issues I've got at work. And maybe your work and home life balance is suffering because of it. I just pray for fresh wisdom for you at this stage. Oh God, give them wisdom for you in how to make that work for you in your circumstances. I pray God will speak to your heart about how to deal with people in your team to make them receptive to your words, how to knit them together as a jigsaw is put together, how everybody finds their own level within that team. So, Lord, again, great grace for those building teams here, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray for people of vision. So, Lord, to... for for vision, Lord, to be imparted, but also, Lord, for us to step out and take a risk. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have our, our, our every step. And Lord, I thank you that we can fully rely on you and we can step out in the truth that you are there with us, Lord. And I thank you for ideas, people. I pray that you would, you would put more ideas into people, Lord, for things that you want to build in your kingdom. And I pray, Lord, that you wouldn't let us waver from that, that we would always, that we would never ever lose sight, Lord, of the, that this is your work, that everything we do, Lord, is for you, not for us, Lord. But I pray, Lord, for, for godly wisdom and strength to step out and take risk. Amen. Yes, Lord, Lord we, we, we want to declare that we are, we are kingdom people. Lord, men and women, Lord, of your word um, and of your spirit. And, and, and Lord, we, we, we want to pray, Father, just for, Lord, for, for, for growth, Lord, within our businesses. I want to pray, Lord, for growth within leadership, Lord. Lord, we want to pray, Lord, for just, just an outpouring of finance, Lord God, into, into our businesses, Lord, for, for success, Lord, to come in, in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we, we thank you, Lord God, that your, your heart is, is for us, Lord, and for, Lord, for the growth of your kingdom, Lord Jesus. And I just pray, Father, just, just, just birth within us, Lord, this, this passion, Lord, for you, and a passion, Lord, to build your kingdom, Lord. And I, and I pray, Lord, that would come, Lord, through just the, just the startups, Lord, for, for, for new, new businesses to, to begin, Lord, God, for, for fresh ideas to come into place, Father, for, for, um, for folks, Lord, just to, to be creative, Lord, and, 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 and how they, they, they generate, Lord, God, um, just finance, Lord, for the building of your kingdom. So, Father, we, we want to commit all of this to you, Lord. And we say, Father, we say we want you to be glorified, Lord, in our lives, Lord, and in our business lives, Lord Jesus. And say, Father, Lord, you have your way. Have your way, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father.
Jesus. Jesus. Yes, so Father, we thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you for all that we've heard. Lord, we pray for uh, the rest of the day. Be upon us. Keep speaking to us. Lord, we pray that this weekend wouldn't just be a a good time together, but Lord, it would be life-changing. Lord, we pray it would be life-changing for us and our families. Lord, we pray it would be life-changing for our workplaces and businesses, for our churches. Lord, that your kingdom may advance as a result of all that you're doing in us and with us and through us over these days. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us this morning. So I look forward to seeing you back here. I trust tomorrow morning where we're looking forward to hearing from Terry Virgo and leadership lessons from the world of church. Have a great day. Well, I should say actually that uh, John and uh, Keith and Rachel are around for a little while. Uh, So if you've got further questions, then you can come and see them here.